and really um, rooting our thoughts like we did last week in chapter 5 verse 7 where he says we walk by faith and not by sight and one of the things that he does see uh, by faith is uh, from verse 12 onwards especially in verse 14 where he says the love of Christ controls us or compels us and he's speaking there about the apostles that's what this whole section is about he is defending himself as an apostle and the preachers of the gospel and he's saying of himself the love of Christ controls me it compels me it drives me to say all the things that I'm saying to you and we saw last week that one of the main themes of this passage is that Paul is weak and that the Christian is weak and that shouldn't be a stumbling block to us that it seems like a contradiction with Paul in Corinth that there were glorious speakers in Corinth there was a glorious culture in Corinth and Paul comes with a message of the cross and he looks battered he doesn't look impressive in his physical appearance and they are beginning to despise him and he is writing this to tell them the secret of Christianity which is that it may look despicable in some ways but its power is really within and it's glorious though you can't see it with the eye and you remember we saw that that Paul says that we must look beyond what is by mere appearance and our own trials and these things we must look beyond all of that difficulty to see something by faith and you'll remember he said we scope this by faith he says in an earlier verse that we do not look at the things which are temporary chapter 4 verse 18 but the things which are eternal they are looking at the things which are temporary and so do we too often and he is exhorting us to look beyond and you'll remember what he saw he saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ not with the eye not an outward kingdom but he looked at it in the scriptures remember that in the word of God in the gospels and especially in the display of the cross itself that is where we see the glory of God you'll remember he also saw that though his outward body is weak he is tired he is oppressed he says that they are pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down he's speaking about a fight there he's beat down to the ground but he's not destroyed but he says it doesn't matter because I can see a body made in the heavens which I will receive so he sees the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ he sees a glorious body and we saw lastly a weight of glory a heavy glory we have a light affliction now this world is light there's much about it that's superficial but the glory that we will receive in Christ when we leave this world and enter his kingdom and especially in the new heavens and the new earth when we receive our body and we are complete and in the image of Christ we will have a heavy beautiful rich glory that nothing in this world can compare to Paul sees all of that and it's, it's real to him it's not wishful thinking he can see it more sure than we can see the things in front of us right now he wasn't hoping that this would be the case he could actually see these things spiritually from the scriptures and in his own life so though they're opposing him 
Though there's much in Corinth and in the other churches that would discourage him, and though he can see lots of unbelief and lost people all around, he does care about that, but it doesn't take control of him and make him depressed because he can see what the outcome of it all is going to be. But he sees two other things that we'll see today, this morning and tonight. He sees the love of Christ, and he also sees the judgment of Christ. We must all appear, verse 10, before the judgment seat of Christ. So you'll see how he's thinking here. He sees the scripture, he sees his body, he sees the glory to come, and when he's thinking of that, he says, you may judge me. The people in Corinth think I'm before their tribunal and they have a right to judge me, but ultimately Christ, the one I love and who loves me, he is the one who will ultimately judge me and these people can't judge me. And what drives him through all of these things? What feeds all of these things? What is the root of all of these things? Paul tells us in verse 14 that it's the love of Christ that is driving him. It's the love of Christ. And he says, it controls me. And the element of self-control is obviously important, but I don't think he just means that the love of Christ helps me to be self-controlled. What he's saying is, when I see the love of Christ and taste it each day by the means of grace, as I experience and interact with the love of Christ, it does something to me. It controls and impels everything I do. The word means to be pressed to be pushed in and squeezed, almost like in a vice. Pressure. He could say, the love of Christ pressures me, it constrains me, it controls and pushes me. We usually think of those words as bad things, that to be controlled or to be pressed or pressured. Trials do that to us, but Paul's saying Christ's love for him actually does that. It pushes him on when he otherwise would react wrongly and be depressed and be discouraged. He just has to taste a little of the love of Christ and it just drives him on joyfully in all of these things. What does he say in, at the end then of chapter 5 from verse 12 to the end? What is the thing he sees again in his scope, in his view, that makes him know that all of this is worthwhile and that he can continue to serve Christ and that he can be assured when he stands before the judgment seat of Christ that all will be well. It's the love of Christ, and especially Christ's love, and the greatest thing that Christ did in the cross itself. So let's just see a couple of things from the end of chapter 5 about this love. What kind of love is this? Where is this love from? Is this love like the loves that we experience in this life. No. It's entirely different because it's the love of Christ. The love of the Son of God himself. It's not like any other love we experience in this world. This is a love that is undeserved. And that's the main thing that matters to Paul about it. He doesn't have to worry about standing at the judgment seat of Christ. He doesn't have to worry about his opposers in Corinth. He doesn't have to worry that his body is wasting away, he says. Because this love is not a temporal love that arises in this world that he has to earn and hold on to and control in some way so that he still has it. This is entirely different. The love of Christ that is the love of God, as the, the minister 
prayed about a few moments ago that God is love that it's of his essence that it flows from him and is eternal the cause isn't in Paul himself at all he can rest in this love because the cause doesn't come from him it isn't dependent on anything he does in fact what he's saying is I just receive this love it is so glorious so free and so saving that this will do in spite of all the difficulty that I have in my life and we read about that difficulty last week it was extreme what this man experienced but he says though it's real and I can feel it and it's painful the love of Christ compels me this love is not caused in him it's undeserved and it's the same for you and I if we're in Christ this morning we should be able to bask and rest in this love because we didn't buy it and we didn't receive it because of anything we did in fact if you're in Christ his love towards you was there before you were born before there was a world before there was a cosmos before there was an angel before there was a heaven before God created the physical heaven where he reveals himself to his angels and the saints even now when all that existed was Father, Son and Spirit eternal that love already was pointing at you how you can rest in that then you can't touch that this love grew it, it was firm it was real and personal for you by name before you even existed before you were born you can't touch that love in that sense it's that firm it's been made and built like a house that someone builds for you that you're not part of building and you don't furnish or any of these things and someone just gives you the house and you just show up and there it is God's love is like that you didn't build it it is not dependent on what you do with it it is just there and given to you and what a comfort that should be to us it's not just undeserved and not caused by us it's also different from our loves because it's completely constant and Paul speaks about that in all of his letters that the love just stays the same no matter what he feels his down moments, his up moments his good days his bad days sometimes we can feel that Christ's love has turned away from us but the love is constant it's consistent it doesn't change at all God doesn't love one of his people a lot and then the next day not love them so much because he's frustrated with them this is an eternal unchanging love where his affection and his saving grace and his kindness and tenderness is always towards the child whom he pities and we don't feel that and there are good reasons that we don't feel it because when we fall when we fail when we're weak when we sin even in a grievous way against him we lose the sense of that love our conscience is disturbed our feelings become all messed up and we don't someone can say to you God loves you and you feel nothing and that tempts us then to think that his love changes that it fluctuates that it's strong sometimes and weak at other times 
but although we experience all of that God is not like that we are like that my love for you your love for me our love for each other it changes all the time depending on whether or not we annoy each other whether we disappoint each other if things are going wrong in our life then our love for other people begins to be affected we are so used to in this world loves that you have and then are taken away loves that are steadfast and then betray you loves that are strong and then become weak and quenched but not Christ not Christ John 13 when he washed their feet when he went into the upper room and he was about to speak with them and pray for them John says that Christ when he was about to depart from this world having loved his own who were in the world he loved them until the end that's what Christ is like God in the flesh his soul perfect he is eternal in the heavens and filling all things and the son of God who is your saviour has loved you with a perfectly consistent unending unchanging flow of love since time began in your life right now and it's guaranteed for you tomorrow and next week in 12 months and 5 years till the day you die and for all eternity it will not change he is the same yesterday today and forever he does not change his affections do not change so that love is undeserved it is constant and it is personal and that's really important it's not some idea in a theology book it's in your life it's in your soul you experience it and it is for you it's not he loves the group of people that we call the elect and it's really impersonal it's in Paul's life it's in John's life Peter's life and if we're in Christ my life your life absolutely personal he is your shepherd Paul speaks this way all of the time in the personal that he died for us that he was a substitute for us it comes out most clearly in his letter to the Galatians where he says that the life he now lives he lives by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Paul doesn't even say to the Galatians he loved us no deeper for Paul isn't even his concern for the church but that Christ loves him and we need to know personally that Christ loves us we need to use the means of grace we need to pray we need to read his word about what he says about the Christian we can't just believe that God loves the congregation in Airdrie we need to know if we're in him that he loves us because when we know that he loves us the pain the doubts the trials the difficulties the frustrations the despondency are all transformed because you know that he loves you he doesn't just have a slice of love for you that in this congregation of your one member you as a member have 2% of his love but he also loves the other families and the minister and his family and the children and the other couples and 
You see, in life, even when someone loves you, they have to give their time to other people, and sometimes you can feel that you aren't loved because you only have a slice of their love, but not with Christ. As sure as you're sitting in your seat right now, God's entire love is towards you, free, unbounding, unchangeable, wide. Isn't that amazing that you can sit here and all the other loves and friendships in this world could disappoint you, but you have the assurance sitting here right now that no matter what happens, God fully loves you entirely. With both, Christ has both his hands on you. He'll never say to you, I don't have time for you, I need to deal with another Christian. He is all yours. He is your husband. He is entirely your possession. No wonder Christ says, well, the love of Christ for me compels me to, to ram through all that can go on in his apostleship and ministry and just ram through it all and to succeed because all this is waiting for him in glory and he has Christ's love for him now. But that love was displayed. Though it's undeserved, constant and personal, it was supremely displayed in one place and I'm sure most of us here know exactly where that was and that's one of the main points of the passage. Christ displayed it in the main thing that he did for us which was to die in our place. Paul says, we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died and he died for all. And the all there is his people. It's not the entire world. It's the, when you look at all of his people as a group, he died for them all in their place as a substitute. And Paul tells us about it in verse 19 to 21, where he says that Christ, what God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. He didn't impute their trespasses to them, and he gave Paul a word of reconciliation. That's what kind of love this is. It's a love that goes to the enemy, the enemies of Christ, which was me and you. It goes to the Christ's enemies and it changes them and sub um, it subdues them and makes them humble and repentant and draws them to himself and forgives them and reconciles them to his Father. That's the kind of love. And he did that in the cross. Paul tells us how it works in verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Verse 21. Let me just check this in the ESV. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That is how Christ demonstrated this love. It's one thing to, for me to tell you it's eternal and it's before time and you think that's wonderful. But the depth of the love must be known by us for it to encourage us and drive us on and compel us. The depth of the love. Not just that it's beautiful and amazing and far away and before time, but that something happened in time that should set us in awe of what kind of love this is. That it sets him apart from all other men and women and angels. That he put himself in our place in the cross. Paul puts it in two ways. He was made sin for us 
that we might become the righteousness of God. He was made sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And that is the supreme act of love that he did for us. And that is what we need. The law condemns us. The law opens us out and sees our life, every decision and word and action we've ever taken, and it condemns us, Paul says. We are, in, by nature, in condemnation before God. And Paul is saying that this love was seen most mysteriously and deeply in how low Christ went for us, and that he died in our place. He was made sin. He was made sin. No one else can say that for you. You might have lots of ideas about love and you might think that Christ's love for you is that he gives you good gifts, that he makes things go smoothly, that he provides for you. But this, the greatest thing about his love for you is that he was made sin for you. You should be troubled by your sin. Your sin is evil. It's crooked. It's unclean. We are filled with iniquity. And Christ was made that so that you wouldn't be cast into hell. This is the words of sacrifice. When in the Old Testament, a sin offering took the wrath of God. That you took the guilt of your sin, you gave your animal to the priest and he put his hands on the animal and that animal was made sin the guilt was transferred onto the animal symbolically and then they drove the animal out of the camp to die and to rot so that the sin would be out of the camp and for all intents and purposes if you'd asked an Israelite where is your sin there it is it's not on me anymore it's been taken out and they kept having to do it and do it all over again Christ was that sacrifice he was that animal, that goat, that the hands were put on, transferring your guilt and my guilt onto his head so that he became sin. So that when God looked at him, he found all of your sin and all of my sin as Christians. That, that's incredible. That should not have happened. We don't deserve that. It's, it's impossible that such a thing should take place, and yet it did take place. That's what Paul means when he says that he was made sin. So all of our failure, all of our disobedience, all of our offences and trespasses are put on Christ at the cross. The hands of the Father were on Jesus at the cross, transferring all of my guilt and your guilt to him. And just like his love must be personal for you, that needs to be personal for you too. That also can't just be in a good book that you put back on the shelf. It has to be in your life. It has to be a reality in your mind and in your heart. All of our iniquities, all of our unfaithfulness to God, all that we put before God, all of our spiritual adulteries, all of our emotional and physical adulteries, our sexual immorality, our coveting of other people's things, our envying of other people who are put before us and ahead of us, our jealousies, our evil thoughts about other people, 
our wrong words are lashing out in anger. Even something like today, the Lord's Day, even if everyone in here longs to keep the Lord's Day, even if we all really want to worship Him today, we will not worship Him as He deserves. We will not keep this day as it should be kept in purity because we're sinful. And you may think something like that is just ceremonial, that God cares about murder. He doesn't care about something like this, but His law looks at us and we are wrong about sin. We do not see the same things as important as God sees them Himself. And in all of these things, we fall short and miss the mark, which is what sin means. And each of those sins, because of the glory and wonder and immensity of God, each of these sins deserves the wrath of God. That's the gospel. That's the good, plain, clear gospel. That we deserve that. And all the guilt for every sin that I have committed in my life, in my mind, in my heart, in my body, and you too, all of the wrath and response of God in His holiness to that sin, He put on His sinless Son and poured out the judgment on Him. What love! Christ should not have been there. Christ should not have been there. Yet he went willingly because he pitied us in our foolishness and our inability to save ourselves. He reached out in love to us and he said, I will go, I will be made sin so that when my father looks at me, my father is compelled to view me as an object that is disgusting and deserving of hell and that my father will crush me so that they will not be crushed what love God has for you in Christ every single day even today, tomorrow, Tuesday each infraction that we hide from other people and when we say it's not important that I fell short there but it is important every one of these things is it shoots towards the cross. It's connected to the cross. Everything I do that falls short, it immediately, it almost travels in time and goes to the cross. It's not without consequence. I hurt Christ. I hit Christ. I spat on Christ. And when I look at him suffering and say, my God, why have you forsaken me? My father is thrusting the sword into him because of how pathetic often I am in my life. You can't get any more personal than that. It's not just a case of saying, please forgive my sin. It can only be forgiven because he loved me that much to plunge into that dark, disgusting place to pull me out of it. Isn't that wonderful love? You don't, you, I don't care what man or woman or boy or girl you might meet and you think they love me and I love them. It doesn't compare to that at all. Well, these are different categories altogether. Don't put your hope in these loves, friend. Don't be depressed by these loves and your lack of them. You have this love. This is the love that really matters, and Christ has it for you. He was also he also gave you a righteousness. 
Paul says that he knew no sin and Christ gave you that too. He didn't just die and take the wrath for you. He lived and he, he lived each day of his life since he was born perfectly and obedient. Paul says he was made under the law. Under the law. So that each day he lived in his childhood, the children he interacted with, his obedience to his parents, his, his sleep, his singing of psalms, his reading of God's word, his thoughts at night, all of his duties, all of his chores as a child, all of his teenage years, the, a perfectly obedient, pure and holy teenager, and then in his ministry, in his adulthood, in his work, in his friends in Nazareth, his interaction with the disciples, every lost person he met in Galilee and Judea, the religious leaders that hated them, that questioned him, all of his answers to them, before the Sanhedrin and on the cross itself, he was living under the law and he was hitting all of those laws perfectly. Every, every second he was obeying an immense law that was the character of God. He obeyed it from the heart, from the motive and the action, the word and the thought, everything. He was pure. He did what was unimaginable. And Paul says, he was made sin for you so that in him you could become the righteousness of God. And you need both. It's one thing for him to come in and take all of the muck and the dirt and the guilt and the condemnation and the inevitability of hell to take that off you but that doesn't make you righteous that doesn't make you legally right before God you've still broken God's law you can't just stand before God and say but Christ took my sin away you need a righteousness Paul says a righteousness on your account and that righteousness is the righteousness of God not of a man or woman I can try and be righteous. You can try and be righteous. There are some Christians that are very righteous. But that is flimsy and breakable and weak compared to this. We are not just given an innocence or a, a cleansing by God. We're given God's own righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. That he lived as a man who was God. So we can say that the love of Christ not only lifted all the sins off, but then that love put in this perfect obedience and righteousness on your life, on your soul, so that now when God looks at you, you are as righteous as Jesus Christ, legally. When you're taken before the court, when you're called into the judgment seat of Christ, the law can't look at you and say, I don't accept you. The law will look at you and say, he and her is as righteous as Jesus Christ. It was imputed to you. Can I just close that thought? Our sins and guilt were entirely imputed to him and his righteousness and glory were imputed to us. And Paul says only a glorious love would do that and that is what drives me on that someone would do something so wonderful, so immense, so saving, 
so unimaginable, so unfathomable for me, it constrains me, compels me to keep living my life. You may be here and you don't have that. You may be here wrestling with the gospel, striving with the spirit and seeking the things of God. To receive that forgiveness and to receive that perfect righteousness, you get it by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, Paul says, you will be saved. You can have all of that through the act of faith through dropping everything you have and going to the throne of God and yielding your soul to him, submitting to him, admitting the filth and the sin that that you are and seeing him and knowing your need of him and calling on him to save you. If you do that really and truly and exercise your faith in Christ, submit to him and follow him, that transaction will happen. You'll become at that moment forgiven and justified and righteous in God's sight and he will become your father. That is the greatest love of all. Let me just take one minute to close. Paul says that this love must be responded to. We've talked about where that love came from and how it endures. We've talked about where it is seen in the cross and in that transaction. But Paul says, the love of Christ controls me because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We must respond if we have any real experience of that love. If it's real to us at all, we will respond. We'll be responding in our life right now, and even if you're hearing this, you will respond. If you are not responding to this, it is because you are dead. It is because your conscience is insensitive. It's because you don't appreciate what God has done for sinners at all. And ultimately, you think you're righteous enough to stand before God and make your case and that you'll be fine but the Christian doesn't do that the Christian sees the awfulness of the thing and the Christian sees the glory of what God has done in Christ and he responds and she responds to this that they should no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised Christ was sacrificed. Christ did all of the legal things that needed done. Christ took the wrath. Christ gave the Christian a righteousness. But does, does that disengage us? Does that mean we just sit passively? No. The call on us and the, the demanding call Christ gives us is to take up our cross and follow him. The de- cross, Christ doesn't say, I sacrificed myself so you don't have to. He says, I sacrificed myself, now you, you, give 
yourself as a living sacrifice to me a burnt offering that you would be consumed as he says in Romans consumed as a living sacrifice I died as a sacrifice and you must live as one you must burn and be consumed and constrained by the love of God to live as a sacrifice for him not be conformed to this world but be transformed so the fact that he died for us doesn't just it, it doesn't mean we can sit back and say I, I have a ticket to heaven no, no if you see this at all through your scope his glory the body you receive the glory of his face the glory of what he did on the cross if you see that at all you will take up your cross you will die to yourself as he says here if one died for all then all died your old person has to die your pre-Christian days have to die all of your interests and affections and desires that are unchristian, every single one of them has to die all the time you want to spend on all these interesting things that kill and take away from your time with Christ so that he gets 1% they must all die and you must offer up yourself as a living sacrifice to Christ you must deny yourself in the words of our Saviour and take up your cross and follow the one who died for you and was raised for you if he did that for you there is nothing you should be unwilling to do for him and there are so many ways we get this wrong we live for ourselves Paul says not to do that we do, we live for ourselves we build our own dreams we build our own ambitions we want certain things in life that will make us feel good we want the good house the good job we want to be successful and it takes away all of this time and we don't look like living sacrifices if you want to live if you want true happiness if you want Christian happiness that is a paradox and a contradiction like Paul had it if you want to be treasure in a jar of clay if you want though your outward man perishes for the inward to shine and be filled with grace do what Paul says don't live for yourself live for Christ throw off all the baggage and take up the cross and say I am a Christian give your time to this place here give your time to the ministry here give your time to prayer give your time to the word give your time to witnessing to the lost give your time to fellowship make time in your life not, not um, so that your career defines you have a career for Christ and use it and make sure in that career that when you're carrying it out that you're actually saying something about this to the people you're with because if you're not saying anything about it you have no cross and you are not a living sacrifice Paul was despised because he spoke openly and looked like a fool and they hated him for it and we must do the same don't live for yourself but for him who for your sake died and was raised so his love is great and we can look back at it and find its roots and it is 
incredible how old it is and how beautiful and how wonderful. His love is intense and deep and mysterious at the cross. But all of that is meaningless unless we see that love to ourselves and say, Lord, I have nothing of myself and I am going to live every moment and every second and every day in your service. I was marked for the slaughter and you took that mark off of me and now I am a living sacrifice who has, who, who has sidestepped eternal death. That's what I should have had. I sidestepped it and you're the one that pushed me out of the way and now I am yours. I am a slave to Christ. A loving slave because the master loves me. May God bless our uh, meditations this morning on his word.